Hey there and welcome to SBB 2017, uh, your place for film news, for film facts, for film fun as well. I'm delighted as ever to be joined by the always charming Phil Bailey. Phil, how are you doing? What are you doing, Laurie? Great to have you on. <laughs> I'm your host, Laurie Bailey, of course, film critic for the Oxford paper, highly, highly qualified film specialist. And we're going to be going through the issues that face the film industry, as well as some of the top films performing at the box office today. So Phil, why don't you start off by telling us which blockbuster movies we're going to be looking at tonight. Okay. Um, yeah, we're going to do... I've gone to see Fences, uh, the new film from Denzel Washington and Viola Davis. Uh, this is based on a play, and they're putting it to film. It's been Oscar-nominated, so that's what I've gone to see. Laurie, I think you went to see The Cure for Wellness. That's right. Gore Verbinski returns to direct an unlikely horror mystery thriller set in the Alps. And lastly, you saw John Wick 2, that Keanu Reeves is back. Is he going to get everyone? That's right. Keanu Reeves pulls up his sleeves and delivers another gun-toting action spectacular. Listeners, I just uh, in case you're wondering about the new format of the show, Phil, I was just thinking it's time to put the Super Bailey Bros on the map. We've been doing well, but it's time to, you know, really push ourselves out there. So I checked out some of our peers to see how they get things done on television. So Which, which, I, which peers are these? Oh, the, the best, the top performing peers in the industry. So I'm taking my cues from there and listeners I hope you'll enjoy this new highly informed highly intellectual uh, film discussion program stay tuned because uh, later on we caught Sam Mendes on why he feels it might be a wrench for the next Bond director to leave Judy Dench on the bench Uh, yeah, okay. Um, can we do the uh, the regular stuff, you know, where we just do the movie reviews? And... <laughs> That's right, Phil. And we've also got historian Fanny Price coming in to take a look at what may be the original motion picture discovered in the caves of South America. Uh, what about emails and tweets? And Thanks so much for getting in touch at the hashtag SBB2017 forever. We're, of course, going to be reading out your correspondence and your emails, as well as going through the SBB rewards categories that you've been so kind in getting in touch about. Yeah, I'm actually really excited about that. Thanks so much to everyone who sent those in. And we can actually read them out. That's going to be great, isn't it, Laurie? <laughs> oh, you bet it is, Phil. Hold on to your horses, make an appointment to view. Don't go anywhere. What about, uh, you know, the, the Patreon bit? Are we going to do that, or is that not classy enough? Well, Phil, if we were on TV, then of course we'd be making bajillions of dollars uh, slash pounds sterling, so of course there would be no need to lay out our hands in a begging position and ask for miniature donations per month to help us keep the show going. So of course I won't say check out the SBB 2017 show at patreon.com slash superbellybros. Right, okay, and yeah. Well, thanks to all those people who already have done that. That's great. That's right, and I think I can see the Dalai Lama about to come and join us to discuss why he only dreams in blue screen. Well, like like a like a CGI thing. That's all I've got to say, Phil. It almost rhymes. That's how we introduce things on SBB 2017. Wow, great. How do we how do we move on the show though? Let's play the jingle. You've heard of the immortal Keanu meme, haven't you, Phil? Yeah, yeah, he's uh, he doesn't age himself, and also there's images of him from like nineteen hundred or even the seventeen hundreds or something. Oil, yeah, paintings. Renaissance paintings of Keanu Reeves. I love it. It's one of my favourite internet memes. The internet is a scary place, listeners, as everyone knows. But occasionally they get it right, and that is one of the good ones. Along with uh, sad Keanu, as sad well. Keanu when he's eating a sandwich on a bench. Yes, very, very good. Now, I, I think this is the film where the immortal Keanu meme finally will meet its end, Phil. I'm sorry to say. Listeners, I saw John Wick Chapter 2. I saw John Wick 1, actually, not that long ago, about three weeks or so ago. I reviewed it on what we've been watching. You're a fan of the original, aren't you, Phil? Yeah, I think it's sort of silly fun, but 
kind of played quite serious and yeah. Keanu Reeves seems quite cool in it. You and joined a lot of people in making it a cult classic, basically. Yeah, and I think it was the fact that it was kind of this little small film by the, the guys who were involved with the Matrix stunts. And uh, Keanu Reeves was like, yeah, let's make a movie, action movie. And they kind of put it together and made it exciting and fun and, and engaging. Yeah, and it well, it was in case you don't know it, listeners, John Wick is a hitman. In that film, he goes on a killing spree because a crime lord's son kills his dog uh, and steals his car. <laughs> you, then, you, you did this in the What We've Been Watching what? review. You put those things on equal levels as if they are equal things. But that, okay. The film very much is saying <laughs> killing a dog is a very serious bad thing. It's because it's the, do- the only do- a dog left to him by his wife, I think. Yeah, exactly. He doesn't really care That's about the right. car, but you keep on putting it on the same... Well, you, hey, hold your horses, Phil. Hold your horses. Because you know how the beginning of this film starts? Uh, somebody steals his car? Someone has his car and he kills a load of people to get it back. So, do you want to retract your previous statement, or... Um... In John Wick 1, it, that my stuff applies. I have no idea about John Wick 2. Okay, look, John Wick 1 succeeded because it was quite ridiculous, and it was a sort of debut into this weird world of assassins, professional assassins who are kind of gentlemanly. They wear suits, they have hotels. They, they have the codes. Chill and out. And yeah, there's a code of honour. They kind of have banter between each other, knowing that at any moment they might have to take each other out, that kind of thing. And I think people were kind of won over by the fact that this actually, it feels like a sort of underdog, the original John Wick. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, very much so. It, was, it, was, it wasn't like the big Hollywood type saying, let's make a cool action character. It was like this small independent film that kind of gained steam. Yeah, exactly. And people embraced it. It had a sort of style to it and it was kind of silly and fun. It knew it was silly and fun. It had small ambitions and it succeeded in all of them. The big problem I have with John Wick Chapter 2 is that you can't get that back again. You can't get that sort of cocktail of emotion and circumstance ever again. John Wick is is a known quantity. The world that he inhabits is not there to be discovered anymore because it already exists. It's certainly not an underdog anymore because the only reason a sequel has been made is because the first one performed really well uh, in sort of subsequent sales. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's lost its independent vibe. That's right. And unfortunately, I think everything about this film feels that way. So I wanted to tell you, give you a clue as to how I feel about this movie straight away because I know there are loads and loads of people who feel very passionately about it. I think it's because it has that underdog feel to it, the original one, yeah. Mm, So, but please hear me out. (laughs) You know, I I enjoyed the first one in a kind of ludicrous way, but I, I do have some reservations about this one would you like to hear a clip yeah let's play a clip so here is mega assassin john wick coming back to that hotel the famous assassin's hotel where no killing can be done you know no uh, business to be done on hotel grounds coming up to the well-known desk clerk you know and yeah he's going to stay there for a while should we have that yeah here we go I'd like to see the manager. <laughs> Another five-star line delivery uh, by Keanu Reeves. Don't be hating Keanu Reeves. No, I love great. the guy. I love him. I'm only joking, listeners. We're not actually going to use that clip. Here is the clip we're going to use. This is Mega Assassin John Wick <laughs> uh, being sent on another assignment. And to do so, he needs to suit up, literally. He goes to an assassin suit maker who builds incredibly slick, uh, highly advanced suits that can stop bullets and maximum movement, blah, blah, blah. Let's hear that scintillating scene. Buongiorno, signor Wick. Ciao, Angelo. Welcome back to Rome. Magari ha bisogno di un abito nuovo. I am. 49. Tell me, Mr. Wick, is this a formal event or a social affair? 
social. And is this for day or evening? I need one for day and one for night. And what style? Italian. How many buttons? Two. Trousers? Tapered. How about the lining? Tactical. Icon carbide discs, ceramic matrices, accompanying laminates, cutting edge body armor. We just sew it between the fabric and the lining. Could you do a rush order? I sure can. Where would you like to have it sent? The hotel. Man, I think you're being a bit harsh. Like you're sort of jading people already. With <laughs> I'm, your no, own I'm not opinions. trying to jade. I promise, I'm not trying to jade anyone. But I don't. You think that's a slightly mishandled scene? The key thing that bugs me about it is the music. It's not actually the lines. It's not the scene. But can you hear how try hard that music is? It wants you to think, man, it's so cool. Yeah, this is really cool. Uh, no, I think it's sort of like playing up to that sort of silly campiness, but no, in a serious you're wrong, way. Man. Well, if I was the director, I would have replaced it with like hotel music. I would have played like a string quartet or something. Because the, the the dialogue that they're making is a gag. The dialogue is, well, do you need it for evening wear or do you need tapered trousers? You do can't you want it to say be immune that to on top of a cool yeah. soundtrack. Right. You need to put it on top of an ironic one. It needs to have a bit of a sense of humour because the humour is there in the dialogue, but it's not there in the way that it's been made. Yeah, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. Okay, good. Thank you. Good. I'm really, I promise I'm not trying to anger John Wick fans here. I really, I like the first one. Okay, look. So the plot of the movie is that uh, John Wick, yeah, begins by tracking down the car that has been stolen from him. It turns out that he didn't quite finish the job at the end of the last John Wick, and there are still some people left in that Russian organisation. The old reopen the scab. Yeah. yeah, a little bit. And inevitably, you know, the opening scene is him just taking out a load of these guys. Um, that's it. And after that, he is confronted at his house by Santino D'Antonio, the character name played by Ricardo Scamarchio. Scamarchio? I don't know how to pronounce his name, sorry. And it turns out he is familiar with this group of assassins and especially familiar with John Wick because he carries a coin uh, and inside the coin, it's called a marker, they call it a marker, inside it is a thumbprint, a bloody thumbprint from John Wick, which basically says, I owe you a big favour. Right, okay. And so the guy has come to collect. Even though John Wick is determined to have got out now, he's got his car back, uh, he thinks, you know, I'm done with that assassin's life. I just want to live here in my amazingly massive penthouse, completely on my own, endlessly watching the same video of my wife, which makes an appearance again, along with a couple of new photos this time as well. Uh, but this guy is not having it. Santino says, no, John, you gave me this, you gave me a marker, you better do what I tell you to, or you are going to pay the consequences. Um, not a spoiler to say, John Wick says, you know, I'm not interested, mate. Then John Wick's house gets destroyed. So in the last film, his dog got killed and his car got stolen. This film, his house gets bombed, basically, and blown up by this guy because he refuses the marker. And those photos of his wife get melted, Phil. Uh, those photos of his life that are so precious to him get destroyed. He hasn't it, got it stored in the cloud or whatever. Sorry? Well, no, if only he had, what is it, Apple AirDrop or something going on. <laughs> if he just thought Time ahead. machine. It's a high-tech house. But, you know, clearly not in this case. So, of course, what then follows is another mission he realizes well i'm gonna have to do what this guy says or more of this is going to follow but once i'm done with this guy then i'm seriously done and no one can come at me ever again things get a bit out of hand and he quickly discovers things are never as straightforward as they appear so there you go all the old favorites are back Ian McShane is back as the hotel manager, the hotelier, or whoever. There are a couple of new faces that are also old faces in a very pleasing way. And I believe that there are some clips that have spoiled this, but I won't be spoiling that. And I don't know, Phil, I would like to have enjoyed this film more than I did. I basically just found it tiring. I found it a bit boring. Do you know my criticism for the first John Wick, which I enjoyed in many respects? The main thing was the action. I found 
and just not very compelling because the main thing about John Wick is he's an amazing marksman. He has a handgun. He's super efficient. Yeah. yeah. And to use the phrase headshots, which I think some people weren't even like hearing because, you know, mm, it's very yeah. cool with video gamers, isn't it? Because you get medals on Call of Duty or whatever it is. You're for so headshots. sure you're like a big old farmer. Come on, man. I used to play Halo and do the sniper rounds and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, but that that's it. And so... You know, you don't need me to tell you, the film is chock full of people getting shot in the head and there's a lot of CGI blood splatters and people getting their faces blown apart. That's actually not, it's not my kind of thing to watch. Is that, is that done gratuitously or is oh, it just Oh, absolutely. Happening? That is what this film is. That's what this film is. People, I don't doubt there'll be blogs talking about the numbers of heads that get blown apart by John Wick in the movie. Because the first one never struck me as that. It was more interested in the action and him as a kind of efficient killer well rather than the the killing if that makes sense well let let me carry on because that the first john wick film when the action sequences are all about someone coming at john wick and then he just gets shoots them just in time then they fall to the ground actually that gets a bit boring after a while because it just means the tempo is very constant there's very little pulling back there's not really much interesting choreography it's just relentless shooting people this film it's the same and yet it's worse because you're right. The first John Wick didn't glory in the head shooting. It wanted to present John Wick as a cool guy. This one, they go to as many pale locations as possible. So those blood splatters stand out oh, that's uh, a shame. vividly. Or they use lighting that throws it into sharp relief. They make a big deal of it, Phil. Like, you can't miss it this time around. It's all about the blood splattering and the headshots and him taking out as many people as that's, possible. That's a real shame because the, the, I think the appeal of, of uh, John Wick 1 was the fact that he was kind of impressive rather than any of the actual violence. And that's the other side of it as well. It's, and you can see what's happened here. It's because you, when you have a sequel, what do you do? Like, you've got to ramp it up somehow. You, somehow, you've got to have a reason for existing. And I already felt a bit gutted that they started by using the same context as the last film. It wasn't new. It was, oh, let's finish off killing the rest of these guys. Like, that's yeah, a bad that's a bit start. of a shame, yeah. And then it's just more head shooting. And then even more than that, they, they tried to do more action. The opening sequence where he's winning his car back features... The camera very, very wide and doing some slow panning around Keanu Reeves doing fight choreography with thugs. And this is where the immortal Keanu meme has died for me, Phil, because he looks slow. I think I would have been faster. Really? It's it's not good choreography, I don't think. And listeners, you know, I'm ready to hear that I'm wrong about that. But I think if you compare it to The Matrix and remember that the guys uh, who direct this film, Chad Stahelski and David Leach, although actually David Leach is not involved in this one, those guys are involved in the choreography for The Matrix and they've done a lot of stunts. These guys kind of know what they're doing, but I'm not sure they really know how to film the stuff very well. And they're obviously committed to getting Keanu Reeves to do his stunts and to make sure we all know it's Keanu doing the stuff. But yeah, it just doesn't look very good to me. I was disappointed. That's a, that's a real shame. I mean, part, again, the first film kind of coined the whole gung fu. Have you come yeah, across right. that? Yeah, right. Yeah, I have. Is, there, is it more They tried gung- to do that with Wanted, which is an atrocious yeah. film with James McAvoy. Is, is this more gung fu or do they slightly mix up the style and the fighting and things even if it isn't quite as well executed well the closest they get is that because john wick is pitted against other assassins in this film more than in the first one you have two elite sort of gun-toting killers facing off against each other and there are some fairly creative ways of trying to do that like do you know the common i think it's the rapper's name he's an actor i, I think well. the rapper's called common <laughs> he's in this film he plays cassian and he's kind of, he essentially plays john wick's nemesis a couple of times right there's sequences with them fighting on a train and fighting in kind of stonework. So there are some good set pieces. Yeah, and they they push quite hard against sort of slick choreography there. But even then, whenever they just let the camera sit back and watch, it's just not quick enough or believable enough. It doesn't look like 
Keanu Reeves' punches and kicks have any actual force behind them. They're just, it looks staged and it looks a bit slow. Uh, and there's even some weird, I can't tell whether it's meant to be a gag or not. It, I think it just reflects a slight lack of self-awareness on the direction. There's one scene where Keanu Reeves and Common fight, where they end up falling down some stone steps, rolling down some phone steps. And I've not laughed <laughs> as much in the cinema. Is it a bit Princess bride It's so Princess Bride. It's so <laughs> funny. It's so extended. And then oh, there's no. a pause and then they keep rolling down the stairs. And it's clearly meant to be not that it's but not it meant to be me, funny. No, no, it isn't. Do you not think just, maybe if it seems to be constantly misfiring on the tone, do you think maybe you've just not picked up on the tone? Well, it, it might not be aimed at me. I might just be expecting something slightly different. I don't find headshots that cool. I don't find that kind of action sequence much fun. But there undoubtedly are lots of people who love that kind of stuff. The kind of people who love playing Call of Duty. You know, quick disclaimer here, listeners, I couldn't play Call of Duty. I tried to. Uh, and there was one scene where you have to snipe some guys from a roof. And when I saw how realistically the enemy soldier stumbled and then you shoot him again and then he's dead, I thought, I can't play this game anymore. Can't do it. <laughs> so that, the full disclaimer, that's, that's me. <laughs> yeah. Basically, I'm wondering, is, is this going to appeal to those guys, those kind of lads, whatever it is, who just want to see some cool action and go, yeah, isn't John Wick cool? The thing is, I don't think Anyone who watches it will be impressed cinematically, directorially, nothing like that. I think, <laughs> listeners, feel free to throw stones at me because I know people will. People who are going to like this are the people who love John Wick and they love Keanu Reeves. And for them, it's not really about the film. It's not really about that anymore. It's about liking something that other people thought's a bit silly. So it's sticky. I think it's the underdog thing, basically. Once you have people who are underdog lovers attracted to your thing, you can kind of almost do no wrong, basically. Interesting, interesting. I mean, is that too cynical, Phil? I mean, I don't mean it to be cynical because, in a way, it's quite a nice I, thing. I think I'm just imagining if if uh, if it was somebody with a different sensibility. If I went to see this film, well, I'm trying to work out if I'd agree with you or if uh, I'd feel completely the opposite. And I, I, I imagine, I'm guessing there are going to be plenty of people who are going to completely disagree with you. That's fine, and I'm happy for them to do it. But I, I hope they can also see what I'm saying. I mean, just I've got a basic. I've written a massive list of things here, Phil. Maybe I should just do that as a quick fire way to end the review. Should I give you the grade and then do that? Um, just before you do, I think, I think if I go on saying I didn't like it, people are going to uh, yeah. Get less I think I happy. think I will say you've you've put doubts in my mind. I was quite excited to see John Wick too. You still you'll still enjoy it probably. And you've you've made me nervous. I'll admit that. So what are these these list of things? Well, let me give you the grade first, and then listeners, you can skip the list if you. <laughs> What's <laughs> the grade? Is don't something say something stupid well what do you think is stupid phil if you give it below like a c plus i, I was think. i was gonna give it a c actually but c's, c's okay I yeah think. i think it kind of is a c film i like the first john wick a lot more it had a sort of graininess and a bizarre aesthetic to it that really worked this just this just loses it because all of those cards have already been played uh, so here you go here's my little list phil it's sort of bonuses as well number one big mistake to locate the assassin's hotel in the real world there's a scene of ian mcshane and keanu reeves having a meeting on a rooftop garden terrace and in the background you can see that really famous cathedral on fifth avenue do you know the one i mean yeah yeah, in new york and what's hilarious about that for me is that i stayed uh, in my honeymoon at a hotel that's literally across the road i was looking at some honeymoon snaps and i could see the courtyard <laughs> that ian mcshane and keanu reeves chatted in oh really yeah and there's my wife you know beautiful wife stood on the balcony but a big smile on her face and then you know just make out in the background as keanu reeves <laughs> having an assassin's <laughs> conference that's a big mistake because the idea that this stuff is all really hidden and not findable is and really you found appealing. it in your honeymoon's pit. it's just there in my honeymoon <laughs> i could have gone across the road and said hi so yeah i think that was a mistake 
a part of that is that I really felt there's too much mythos. Do you know films actually start to lose interest for me when they when you see a lot of a secret society? Well, the more they reveal of it, the less intriguing it becomes. Exactly. The fact that it ex- you exists want to hint at it stuff. is enough, and the more you get into it, and they have this whole thing about a ruling council and the code. Gets oh, expanded. this is that sounds like Pirates of the Caribbean three when it's yeah. like the, the nine pirates and exactly, each exactly, of you need exactly. your pieces of nine, and and it's like too much. Just go away. Exactly, it's too much, isn't it? And you and it's kind of classic sequel baiting. It's what you have to do to fill out the thing. Where'd you go? Peter Serafinowicz is in this. He's good, uh, but I kept thinking of Look Around You. And it did make me think, he would actually make a really good James Bond if they ever want to go the, oh, uh, really? the funny route. He's yeah, got an odd yeah, yeah, face yeah, 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 for yeah. that. He'd be good, man, I promise you. He was the voice of Darth Maul. There's a sequence involving silences on the guns in a subway where they're covertly taking little shots at each other without getting spotted by the crowd. That is nicely done. That's a good bit of fun. More of that, please. I thought everyone is kind of dumb in this film. If you watch it and think anyone in the movie is clever at all or does anything clever, you you know, well, if you get punched punch in the head lots, you're not going to make good decisions, are you? Well, that's fair enough, Phil. I just think in particular, there's one sequence where there's a woman who says, I thought I would see you coming. And I thought there is no way that she didn't see this guy coming. Anyway, <laughs> final two. Basically, Phil, this summoned my inner stuffy parent because eventually the headshots made me think this is irresponsible. <laughs> I said it in my head. This is irresponsible filmmaking. And I do actually think that. I thought it was grotesque. Like, there are a couple of sequences where I felt a bit sick, seen particularly involving a pencil. I mean, that's just nicked out of The Dark Knight anyway. Uh, but I thought, oh, that's just too much. I, I, I didn't enjoy seeing that. And I think if you think it's cool, well, more power to you. <laughs> uh, no, uh, no, that's me, isn't on, it? But there we go. That's how I felt. People have different sensibilities. You, okay. can't, you can't blame them for their taste. And tests. final one here. Absolutely no doubt this is sequel territory. They've already announced it's happening. So be prepared that it might not close off all the loose ends. I'm not going to close off my loose end then. (laughs) What is that? Okay, Fences. Quite excited to review this movie because I've got a little bit of a soft spot for Denzel Washington. Don't we all, Phil? And it's great that he directed uh, this as well as starring in it, right? Yeah, he did. He's the... uh, he. Well, I need to give the whole little backstory to this film. Do it, do it. Uh, But before I get into that, I just want to say why I love Denzel Washington. And uh, part of the reason I love Denzel Washington is because of Remember the Titans, which I did on uh, what we've been watching, that uh, football coach thing. He is one of the best guys ever when it comes to doing a speech. And he has a very specific way of doing a speech. And in this film, there are a lot of speeches from Denzel Washington in the (laughs) Denzel Washington type of mould. This film is a film of the play by August Wilson, also called Fences. And in fact, when it was revived in 2013, I think it was, Denzel Washington was in it. So was Viola Davis. And actually, this film reunites the cast that won. I think they won Tony Awards and all sorts. It was very much critically acclaimed. And this is basically that play put onto the film. Now, this play is uh, from the 70s, I think. And August Wilson, he's a he's a quite a well-regarded playwright, a black playwright, who this is part of a series of 10 plays set in Pittsburgh. And it's all about uh, black community and the black experience in America over through different decades. Right. So this film, and I say this cautiously, this film is a very black film. And it's very much, well, you can hear it in just the language and everything like that. It is entirely rooted in the black experience. Well, black culture of like 19 whatever America. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, well, let's play a clip, I think, because this is a clip which will give you a sense of the tone so that when I explain the plot, it will make a bit more sense. Okay. Here we have Denzel Washington doing one of his Denzel Washington speeches to his son, Corey. And yeah, it's quite self-explanatory. How come you ain't never liked me? Like you? Who the hell said I got to like you? 
What law is there say I got to like you? Want to stand up in front of my face and ask a damn fool-ass question like that? Talking about liking somebody. Come here, boy, when I talk to you. Straighten up, damn it. I asked you a question. What law is there say I got to like you? None. All right, then. Don't you eat every day? Answer me when I talk to you. Don't you eat every day? Yeah. As long as you're in my house, you put a sir on the end of it when you talk to me. Yes, sir. You eat every day. Yes, sir. Got a roof over your head. Yes, sir. Got clothes on your back. Yes, sir. Why do you think that is? Because of you. <laughs> Hell, I know it's because of me. But why do you think that is? Because you like me. Now, man, you can just picture the guy's expression when he says that. Denzel, as you say, he's got a very distinctive speech-making style. There's the, like, creased eyes laugh that isn't really a laugh. There's a lot of that going on. It's sort of angry mocking, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That's sort of the tone that he hits. And you were a bit annoyed with this clip because it cuts off the end. Yeah, it it sort of suggests maybe something different about their relationship than actually the film gets to. Okay. But I don't think I'll spoil it here. Fine, fine. So this film follows Troy and uh, his his life really in a poor part of pittsburgh sorry troy is denzel washington yeah troy's denzel washington and uh, he's married to rosie who's played by viola davis his uh, his wife of 18 years together they have a son cory who is wanting to be a football star he's a, a college sort of potential and uh, the thing with troy is that he feels he's always been dealt a bad hand he was an absolutely incredible baseball player in the negro leagues um but before baseball really had any black players, before anyone broke through. And and so even though he felt he was amazing at baseball, he was too late maybe or, or not talented enough. That's the kind of the question to make it into the uh, the major leagues. Okay. And that's caused a constant burden for him and he's never really been able to get over Bit it. Bit a chip on his shoulder. Yeah, exactly. Instead, he's been living his life as a garbage man and we meet him as he's very frustrated by the fact that there are no black drivers of the trucks. All the black workers, the black uh, garbage men have to stand at the back and they're the ones who have to lift up the, the cans and throw them in and everything like that. So that's where you meet him. He's got a best friend called Bono and basically I can't really say any more than that about the plot without kind of spoiling it really okay because the whole kind of thing is he's this guy he feels like he's been dealt a bad hand he's constantly using baseball analogies he says he's spent his whole life with two strikes and one more oh, he's gonna nice. be yeah but because of his past he is really not happy with his son potentially going off and trying to make it as a star he thinks you're never going to make it you need to because but, of what's happened to him. yeah and also he maybe is just a little bit scared that his son might be better than he was Ah, how about that? That's really helpful, Phil, because it's interesting you say you can't give more info on the plot because every clip and every trailer I've seen for this film, it just looks like non sequiturs, basically. The scenes don't have anything to connect them in terms of the plot other than Denzel Washington just being super Denzel Washington. Yeah. And, And so I'm glad to hear there really is something quite solid behind it and it's not just a kind of atmosphere movie. It's not an atmosphere movie. It's a, as I said, it's based on a play and it's got very clear structure and very clear intent. And actually, in some ways, I, I, this is a difficult film to really deal with because it's a film. It's not a play. And I think I need to kind of separate those two aspects to it. Sure. When I do kind of get into the nitty gritty of it. Right on the top of my question, this Phil, is Viola Davis. And in particular, because I read uh, an article that I think a lot of people might have come across this week, The Hollywood Reporter, 
uh, good website, good magazine, interviewed someone who is an Oscar voter, an anonymous Oscar voter. And she took us through all her choices and why she made them. Uh, she hated Arrival, so she thinks Arrival shouldn't win anything. <laughs> Girl lost my own heart. No, I didn't hate Arrival, but I don't think it should win anything. But one of the key things she said is how irritated she was that Viola Davis is nominated for Best Supporting Actress because she thinks she's the lead, a lead actress. Is she right? I think basically it comes, the whole film comes down to Viola Davis and Denzel Washington. Those, those guys, that's the film. That is entirely the, the basis of everything. And Viola Davis is undeniably brilliant. Is in the she film. really great? Yeah, and Denzel Washington is brilliant in the film. These guys are great actors. They're really, 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 really good. And you just see them act really well. And they've got uh, thought through lines, well-regarded lines that have been written for them by a well-regarded playwright. And it's a subject matter that is uh, rich and it kind of demands a, an intense performance. And also you've got this other thing where they've already played these characters night after night after night on Broadway. They both did it. Were they, they were they, cast they, on the they, Yeah, yeah, well. that's what I said at the beginning. They, they both were in the original play, this revival, this well-regarded pri- revival. So they really know these characters inside and out. And now they're just literally putting it to film almost. They know these performances. They know how to deliver on these characters um, and that is probably the biggest draw for the film, I'd say. These guys really do perform incredibly. I think this film is utterly flawed, though, by the fact that it's a film and not a play. Okay. I think it is an Achilles heel that is undeniable. Well, the first thing that jumps into my head when you say that is just even listening to that clip we heard. A play can get away with a certain sort of dialogue that a film just cannot. But In fact, a play requires melodramatic super tight phrasing unless you're going for some kind of super realism on the stage but the stage is so artificial the dialogue needs to be artificial because you you engage with it in such a different way and i think it would drive me nuts to hear every character in this film talk as if they're you know a world-class writer basically i mean that is one of the frustrations of the film is the fact that everyone it's it's a very wordy film there's a lot of words in this yeah, film yeah and it's quite a long film it's two two hours and 15 minutes odd and everyone's talking all the time that's all the film is talking 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 and so it just can feel like a bit like an onslaught of a of of words and 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 sometimes it's quite hard to follow it you can't necessarily uh follow all the little references and the wordplay and every it sounds very nice when they're speaking it and they perform it very well but in terms of following it and and kind of digesting what they're saying it's actually quite tricky i found myself the kind of thing do i really know what they're talking about yeah and you kind of you kind of drop it and pick it up again lots well, of times and that's where you would hope that a director would step in knowing that film is a visual medium and figuring out ways to communicate the meaning of a scene through the visuals as well as the talking. Are you saying that didn't happen? Yeah, unfortunately, I I can completely see why Denzel Washington hasn't got anything for his direction because I think it's very well directed. It's, It's pretty boringly shot. It's just it follows them and tracks them and just places the camera in front of them. There's very, very, very little intention with the camera work. And actually, there's very little spacing it's 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 kind of dull okay which is really frustrating because the play doesn't seem dull i want to see the play i don't this film is dull though it's a boring version of a play because it doesn't really have any set pieces it doesn't really have any anything really to add all it has is the words and the performances and that's really gutting there is some in sort of montages and and time is played into it a bit and there's a bit of it's nicely shot in terms of the look of the film it's well produced and it's shot <laughs> on location with faint praise there i know bit, it yeah. is a little bit it's, it's shot on location and and basically it's just one location they're at a house most of the time there's a couple of bits of 
him driving around in a garbage truck. But really, it is staged and shot like a play. It is one location sort of film. And there never really is any subtext or metaphor put in any of the, the shots. or It just feels quite bare. And again, I think I, I cast my mind over to the play and think a play, you can get away with those sort of things because literally you're paying to sit down and see people act. It's a live performance. You're never going to be able to see that thing again. It's once and done. It's like lightning in a bottle. And so your your eyes are fixed on these actors reacting and interacting and everything that they're doing, they're making a decision which is informing their performance. It's a lively, exciting, dramatic thing watching a play. The film strips all of that away because you take your time. You can shoot people and, and then you say, right, cut, and then you'll think about it. And, and so there's no energy. There's no liveliness. Well, do you know one, one of the key things, exactly as you're saying, is that whenever I watch the play, it's nervous energy that I get because when you're uh, however many feet away from the actual person on the stage who's remembering all those words and controlling their face and their body to such a rigid degree, you feel nervous. I feel nervous for them. <laughs> and there's a kind of weird, nervy energy. Like, but film, yeah, nothing. Because it's, it's entirely safe, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yep. And actually what you end up with is, I mean, plays, they, they use the, the medium and the limitations to then be creative with how they convey information. They use exposition well, very lightly. stuff as well, man. Even they know how to use visuals well. Play directors, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, but I mean, in terms of the words, they kind of, they sprinkle it in like breadcrumbs, the plot points that you pick up slowly. You yeah, kind sure. of, these characters emerge. But it's and an so intermission f- when you can get some ice cream. <laughs> yeah, but in a in a film, it's really frustrating. It'd be quite nice to just see uh, the difficulties of him at his job and his frustrations, and just show it with shots. It doesn't need to be expi- explicitly said to his mate. It doesn't need to be said like that. I have and to, actually becomes yeah, irritating. I have to tell you, Phil. It sounds like it was just a disappointment to you through and through. I mean, it, does Viola Davis deserve a best supporting actress? Because in in a way, the poor direction and visual style is not her fault. She's just a very good actress and it's undeniable and she shows it here. And I think it'd be perfectly reasonable if she got uh, an award for that. Okay. Because I think she puts so much into it and Denzel Washington puts so much into his performance as well that it kind of becomes, it is just a showcase for their talent, but it doesn't mean it's a good film. Sure. And that's, that's ultimately what I found frustrating. And it feels like it wasted my time a little bit. Did it play with you, you know, your emotions and your ideas about life? I mean, did you leave chewing over these things? I imagine there's a climax at some point. Did it work on that kind of dramatic level? Not really, because the climaxes okay. aren't, aren't that cinematic. It's very cinematic when you see two people tussle on stage. And apologies to, to the listeners. I keep on going back to this play versus film thing. But I feel that is absolutely essential in understanding why this film doesn't work. It's not that exciting watching somebody sort of wrestle with a baseball bat with somebody else oh is that what happens at some point well because he, he goes outside to the yard and he likes to hit, oh, right, a, okay. hit a right, baseball right. and the baseball bat comes into play a little bit but it's just not even shot very well and it doesn't seem like that sort of intense sort of death-defying fight or co- co- collision between two people just like well, okay well man are you edging towards a grade then yeah unfortunately i think i'm gonna give it a b minus i really didn't think it was that's that. higher than i was expecting i've been listening and i think we need to be harsh with our grades generally i but think you're happy with b minus i think as a film on its own i think it's probably a c i think the performances are really really strong from viola davis and, and desert washington and they're they're engaging and exciting to watch even when there's no really reason there's no real reason to be excited or engaged okay and so yeah i think that that hopefully gives a picture all right thanks man any bonuses uh well i'm just curious why do you think it's called fences well, I mean, right in the top of my head right now, especially as you've confirmed that it's one location and that he's in the garden a lot, I'm just thinking like the, the house has got a fence around it and so it's what happens within the fences. Am I right? 
Yeah, basically. Is that really what it is? <laughs> sort of. He's got to build a fence. Oh, okay. Well, there we but go. And why do people build fences, Laurie? To keep people out and to keep yourself locked in. Interesting. Is that my right about that? Metaphors. Do you know what? I mean, actually, today, Phil, during Storm Doris, we're recording this on a... Doris Day, day, you mean? A big section of our fence fell down. Oh, what a nightmare. We have suffered. (laughs) Darn you, Storm Doris! (laughs) Anyway, yeah. There you go, fences. It's time for the Broads! Categories to be announced. Yes, <laughs> listeners, we're so excited to be doing our own awards show, and we, Phil and I have been working hard. We've distilled the categories on offer that you guys have been in touch with down to a fantastic list, and it's going to be perfect if you're getting a bit of Oscars fatigue, because obviously the Oscars have already been announced by this point, but none of the categories we're going to do have anything to do with the Oscars. They're a totally alternative awards category, aren't they, Phil? Yeah, it's it's sort of the funny things that we enjoy and we think you guys enjoy as well. Some of them are thinkers, though, as well. And some of them, are, yeah, genuine categories that we think maybe would be interesting to hear about. So it's a mix, isn't it? Some silly, some fun, some serious. That's right. And what we're going to do now, listeners, is we're going to read them out here to give you guys a chance to nominate films that you think deserve to be in those categories. And or actors, are... or things, or bits and Exactly, bobs. yes. And the, But there is a caveat there, which is... If at all possible, try and keep it into the films that have been released this last year. If you've got an absolutely perfect one, which you just think is hilarious and you think we'd enjoy from a film a couple of years ago or something like that, and you just you have to say, do say, but do try and keep it within the last year. That's right. And, you know, limitations always help because it, you know, you really have to think harder about the films that, are, that do meet the criteria or the actors or whoever. Plus, it means that we can do it again next year. Yeah, exactly. Renewable rewards. That's right. Hall of Fame, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> so, Phil, without further ado, should we read out the categories that we are going to choose? Yes. Okay. Sorry, with a little bit of actual ado, <laughs> which is how do people nominate Phil, of course? They can nominate by tweeting whatever the category Just is. Just do hashtag rewards nomination and then, what you know, the categories That's are. far too long in oh, the it? hashtag. Oh, yeah. Hashtag rewards then. Rewards. How do you spell rewards? B-R-O-W-A-R-D-S. Hashtag rewards. Rewards. And then just put in the, the whatever it is and which category that is. Correct. Also, or you can email. send us emails. That's yeah, probably yeah. the easiest way because you can do it all in one fell swoop. I had thought about sorting out a kind of poll form thing on the website, but the possibility of my wife going into labour just means that is a no-no. <laughs> no, 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 no. We'll, you know, can, we'll be high-tech next year. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> we make so many promises about It's not a promise. It's just tradition. a kind of anyway, statement. Anyway, here it is, the first category, do and it, it is... Unless, can we have a drum roll? Let's have a, I'm going to write a theme tune for this. I promise. <laughs> so here comes the theme best franchise three plus films best british film best and worst laugh <laughs> worst concept and best execution now can you explain that a little bit so the worst idea for a film the worst premise uh, that actually turned out amazingly well most made fun of actor slash actress <laughs> very good this year that is of course yeah yeah this year this year best trailer acting while there's nothing there best acting while there's nothing there i should say blue screen style yep best fake accent most confusing title best use of markers highlighters pens and pencils best supporting hair mm-hmm. most noteworthy credits that's end credits i think we mean i suppose it can be either opening or closing sure it doesn't specify Best unexpected comedy moments. Or maybe just best laugh out loud moments, right? Best lols. Yeah, best lols. <laughs> best lols. I like best lols. Best lols. That's, that'd be nice to get on a trophy, wouldn't it? <laughs> you win the best lol. <laughs> uh, films that were nearly much better than they actually were. 
best villain oh. or villainess I should say non-gender specific very good Phil very good I don't know that villainess is <laughs> okay. what would you call a female villain a villain oh, right. I, I didn't realise it was gender neutral she's a villain yeah no, makes, let's move on <laughs> Best, I like the way this one's written, best error in judgment of music choice, which you could also say is worst music, I suppose. I suppose it's it's misunderstanding the scene, isn't it? And you choose something that just doesn't fit. Yeah, yeah, nice one. Are we, are we putting this one in? Are yes, you yes, sure? yes, yes, yes. Best yes. potted plant? <laughs> best potted plant. What a good one to end the rewards categories with. Now, listeners, I know you might not have heard all those, and we're not expecting you to re-listen to this 100 times. We will put this up on our website. I and will on Twitter, tweet up. it out. Yeah, we can tweet it out, but it's probably the easiest place to be on the website. So go to superbaileybros.com. Uh, and if you go to, I think there's a tab called, I'll, I'll, it'll be obvious. Don't worry. I'll figure it out. Cool, cool, cool. We'd love to hear your nominations for that. If we don't hear any nominations, we've already got some ideas are cooking. So That's right. just send them in if you've got some great ideas and you think, yeah, I know exactly who that needs to go to. And I just want to say to listeners, thank you so much for all the suggestions that have been coming in. We're really sorry if your uh, choices or your suggestions haven't been included in this list. We didn't want it to go on forever and ever and ever. We wanted people to really be able to nominate. So we've done our best to pick the most original and a nice sort of I think collection. we've got more awards than the Oscars do. So. Yeah, definitely we do. But seriously, thank you so much we're really impressed by all the creative thoughts out there and there's a couple of sort of special mentions i wanted to add in fact there's one kind of lifetime achievement award isn't there that we will get nominations for shall we yeah i think that'd be fun this would be the super baby bros listeners most hated movie of all time most hated movie of all time i know that's quite a negative category it's sort of a razzy right i think we award. need to we need to point out this is not the worst movie ever it's not like a really bad movie the one that this you is can't the one stand you, you just, oh it's yeah. so annoying makes you cross let's have some nominations for that one and that's of all time that's not just in the last year uh and then here's another the ones that made us chuckle but would be hard to do on a podcast are the best gesture award i.e the biggest or weirdest gesture bonus points for how much it doesn't match what they're saying or feeling. <laughs> that is a difficult that. one to do on a podcast, but I like the idea of it very much. That's right. And similarly, uh, best use of whales as a plot device. <laughs> well, we all know who that's going to, don't we? So... Well, it's got to be Star Trek for the Voyage Home, which yeah, I think exactly. was on that listener's mind. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, listeners, hope you're excited about the rewards. Do send in your nominations by any means possible, and we'll be really excited to do the special rewards announcement awarding ceremony thingamajiggy uh, in a few weeks' time. We'll wait for the nominations to come in for a bit. Basically, it's kind of dependent on your baby, isn't it? A little bit, yeah. I'm trying not to say use that. I as think too that much happens. That used. happens with the Oscars, the real life Oscars, isn't it? Like, That's right. Uh, if the host can't make it, they just postpone it. Yeah, they just postpone the whole thing. That's right, uh, Phil. Yeah, yeah. All right, listeners, get emailing. Looking forward to hearing from you. The Broads. Do you know who Gore Verbinski is, Phil? Yeah, he's the guy who did Rango, that film which I always seem to talk about a lot. You love it. He directed that, didn't he? Yeah, and he also did the Pirates of the Caribbean films. Yes, and the remake of The Ring, the big smash hit that Benedict talked about when he reviewed Rings. What ring? The ring. Yeah, the ring. I think it was it called ring. I thought it was the ring. I'm not sure <laughs> I it ring or the ring. Or... I'm not yeah. sure. That, a, a, interesting filmmaker. You don't typically have people who transition between a very family friendly Disney fair. And then chilling horror stories, right? Yeah, not 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 the usual route. And I do think he's quite a unique sort of guy. Did you know he he was in a band and like he's an instrumentalist and like he's kind of done all these kind of crazy things and he's quite a unique sort of director, really. I get the sense that he's quite a passionate man and he just follows his passions. Yeah, and I, what's quite impressive right from the outset about the film A Cure for Wellness, which I saw recently, is it's got so much style behind it. It's one of the few films I've seen where I've thought, wow, this really feels stylized. It feels really deliberate and it feels 
just quite interesting like there's so much sort of symbolism and detail and curious angles and lighting and approaches and stuff that it it just really really stands out to me Uh, and i want to set it right at the top here because that's the key thing i I think people should know about a cure for wellness is it's super super stylish anyway dane dehan stars as lockhart who is an ambitious unscrupulous young businessman involved in trading i think it is mergers acquisitions that kind of stuff and in a business meeting he's sort of being tempted with a promotion because he's good at what he does Uh, but before he can do that the other board members are setting a hurdle before him he needs to go and retrieve the company's wayward ceo who has sent a letter out to the board that sounds like the ravings of a madman if you've seen the film michael clayton then it's a bit similar to the opening of that film where you get this narrated letter that sounds like someone has just got totally unhinged and the CEO has gone to this wellness spa in the Swiss Alps and appears to have had some kind of crazy revelation about his life and how everything doesn't matter anymore. And the reason they want him back is because they want someone to take the blame for some dodgy dealings their company has done before they can make a deal that will really, really, you know, raise them up into huge financial markets. So Dane DeHaan gets that job. Go on, Dane, get out there. Go on, Lockhart, sorry, is his character name. Go out there, get the CEO back, get him to take the blame, and you'll have riches and success beyond the wildest dreams. Make sense? Yeah, Dane DeHaan, he's the guy who was in Chronicle, right? Yeah, that's right. He's got an incredible, I think I described it as sickly charisma uh, in a, a print review recently. Do you know what I mean by that? He's like weedy, but kind of intriguing. He's got a sort of horrifying core to him. He reminds me a bit of, uh, do you remember Tom Hardy playing that guy in Star Trek? Or the clone of Jean-Luc Picard. That's right, but he plays it as a really kind of sickly, intense kind of character. And there are some odd similarities between Tom Hardy and Dane DeHaan, I think. It's almost like Tom Hardy combined with Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, I can see that. That's a good little comparison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he does have a kind of a magnetic quality to him on the screen. He just looks unwell all the time in a very intense manner. And so he's a perfect choice for this. Uh, And of course, Phil, what happens in a chilly horror mystery is that when he gets to the spa and travels right the way up to the isolation of the alps this mountain retreat really beautiful very washed out color palette you know lovely ceramic tiling very very clear mountain water beautiful vistas and views and everything everyone in white bathrobes he suspects there is something odd going on especially the calm before the storm exactly especially as he finds it so difficult to meet with his ceo pembroke they keep on saying visiting hours are over oh no i'm sorry he's having a treatment oh no i'm sorry you can't take him away to go back to new york he needs to be the one who wants to leave it's up to him he's not well we're trying to make him better uh, and so a lot of the film is dane dehan just trying to meet this guy and talk to him and, and figure out what's going on and in the process of doing so he explores the center a little bit and one of the people who intrigues him the most uh, is this girl hannah played by mia goth who is much, much younger than any of the other patients there. Everyone else seems to be octogenarians, I think that's the right phrase, or just older business people taking a retreat, trying to recover their health, uh, spend their sort of dwindling years uh, in a beautiful spot. But she's very young, and he wants to find out why. So shall we hear a clip of them chatting? Yes. Here we are. Something in the water? At the bottom. I don't see anything. Did it hurt? Can't remember. Better that way. I saw you before 
You a patient here? She's just so much younger than everyone else. Director Volma says I'm a special case. What about you? Are you here for the cure? No. Actually, I was just leaving. No one ever leaves. The cure for what? Well, that's the question, isn't it? The film is a cure for wellness. That title doesn't really come up, but there is a cure that's often talked about, and it's no one seems to know what it is. Just a couple of things about that trailer, Phil. Firstly, I should say, Dane DeHaan is on crutches in that trailer because inevitably, Phil, things are never as simple as they appear, and he injures his leg very, very badly, which means he's going to have to stay at the centre himself for a while, perhaps even partake of some of the odd water-based treatments that the spa has to offer. Um, I'm getting slightly uneasy talking about this film. It's slightly ringing bells of Hostel, which is a really nasty oh, really? film. And and just sort of that. It doesn't ver- verge into that sort of gory side of things, or does it? <laughs> well, let's come on to it later. It's certainly not like Hostel. I never saw it, but the word, and forgive me, listeners, it's not pleasant language, but the word that was frequently applied to that film was torture porn, I think it was. Yeah. Don't worry. This film isn't that, but it, it's not. An easy watch uh, in some scenes. I guess, I guess I'm kind of working out what sort of horror genre oh, is I'm it. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Okay, Don't you worry okay, about that. Okay. Just the other thing I wanted to say about that clip was, did you uh, take note of the song that she sings? Uh, this little humming tune. I was heard the humming. I didn't know what the song was. Do you know what? I just, as soon as I heard that, I thought, that's cool, Wabinski, isn't it? Because I just started thinking about Pirates of the Caribbean. Yo, oh, yo, exactly. Oh, and I admit, listeners, I found that a bit of a distraction. And, you know, that's kind of why I wanted to start out by making it really clear that Gore Vinci's fingerprints are totally all over this. Because there are some things that really support this film in an amazing way and other things that are quite bad. I wish he hadn't made her sing a song like that. Uh, and there are a couple of other things that he does. That I thought, I wish he hadn't done that. Because, what, because it points to other things? Ex- well, it points to things like Pirates of the Caribbean. And this is a creepy 18-rated movie. You shouldn't be being reminded of Johnny Depp as Captain Jack Sparrow. Like That is a, that is a problem. And I thought... So right at the top there, I think you can already see there is a certain level of restraint that has not been applied to this film. And I think someone who was more ruthless with editing would have cut a lot of bits out and it would be a lot more streamlined and a lot more powerful. But that said, the number one thing about this film that everyone is talking about and I was blown away by is the visuals. It is just stunning, Phil. Really? Yeah, I really think it's magnificently put together. In particular, it's the blocking of apparently incidental scenes it's just so full of sort of creepy atmosphere and intriguing like refracting light uh, and amazing sort of color palettes uh, and intense sort of juxtaposition of people with the place that they're in and the spaces they're in it's so it's really powerfully put together the guy knows exactly what he's doing the cinematography is just phenomenal and and i'm sure gorbabinski himself as the director played a massive part in that you can also see his style in the treatments that happen because he makes use of uh concepts like flotation tanks are you familiar with this yeah yeah like back to tanks in star wars or a bit like that but there was a big craze for them i think um decades ago and the whole point is sensory deprivation so you float in water in darkness so you can't hear anything can't see anything yeah and they tie it into well, this is how life began and everything and there's kind of pseudoscience going on but the look of all that stuff is really quite interesting it, it he you can tell that he has studied sort of old 1960s machines and things in wellness spas or even earlier than that almost frankenstein looking contraptions and every sort of location every room is just dotted with all this stuff and it has a weird 
kind of clinical creepiness to it. It's very, very stylized and well put together, I have to say. Uh, even Acro Robits begins to feel creepy. So <laughs> there's a lovely shot, even just as an example, there's a lovely shot of a train, the train on its way to this mountain wellness spa, and it goes around a curving train track into a mountainous a tunnel through the mountains, and they've mounted the camera half sort of on the window of the train so that you see this ever-stretching train immediately to the left of the frame. Can you picture that? Yeah, yeah. And then, and, and then the mountain coming closer and closer and closer. And it's just beautiful, Phil. I think it is really, really beautiful. <laughs> and that sort of amazing visual sense uh, gets turned to some much more nasty things uh, as the film progresses. Well, I mean, you slipped it in there. This is an 18-rated film. Yes. <laughs> Let me put it this way, and I don't worry, this is, I'm not going to explain. It's giving me the heebie-jeebies, and I'm, I'm not, not. I'm not even watching it. I'm just <laughs> hearing about it. <laughs> As um, listeners will already know, Phil and I are not horror fans. We've never really learned how to handle horror, which is why we have Benedict Seal come in and do horror reviews for us. A great so. Seal protector. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But I really quite enjoyed this movie. It didn't feel like a horror to me. It felt like a sort of psychological mystery drama more than anything else. And there is some unpleasant imagery in there, but it's way more symbolic than it is uh, gory. So that, that I don't think there is very much gore, actually. I'm just thinking about it now, and I can't really think of much gore. I mean, it's got an 18, though, so wh- why is it getting an 18? Well, there's, there's quite a bit of nudity in it. Right. There are some unpleasant themes, some sort of vaguely disturbing ideas. There is one particular dentist sequence uh, that is <laughs> hard to watch, um, but because everyone, again, that's one of the big posters. It's Dane Harm with his lips pulled apart so they can do dental work and stuff. And right. So you'll see that coming a mile away. So anyone can handle it. But it, it, yeah, it's not very nice. Um, I would say the 18 is much more there for the disturbing themes than anything else. And weirdly enough, I think that is where the film is at its weakest because all the eeriness and the creepiness and the beautiful cinematography and the slow build-up and the Once tension revealed. and the sparing dialogue and the really intense performances, really good performances, actually, the, what's annoying is the revelations of the plot. They kind of become fairly stock. Like I think, actually, I've seen these plots before in non-horror films and I've seen these characters before in non-horror films and it's a bit annoying that the depths, the hidden depths, turn out not to be very deep, basically. It's a bit annoying because that I think that is where the 18 rating has come from it is some of the sort of nudity and the unpleasantness of, of some of the things that go on. And actually, that's the weakest part of the film. I'm just imagining if they'd done something else, it could have been a 15 and loads more people could have gone to see it. Mm, it's, yeah, I, I don't know. It just makes me sort of on edge, basically. What what is What sounds creepy to you? Well, just because you don't really know what anything could be behind this sort of thing. There's no real clues. And even though you say, oh, it's a psychological sort of... Uh, anything which is involving treatments and yeah, you know this, that's that's the sort of thing, isn't it? It plays on well, the that's mind. Right. And they have they, Jason Isaacs is the director of this spa, and he's the one who's the kind of scientist who's come up with these revolutionary treatments. And you have Celia Imrie, do you remember her, a famous British actress? She's one of the patients. She's going on about how great she feels, and Jason Isaacs is very good at schmoozing and putting a veneer of respectability to everything and that's the best thing about it phil the fact that you feel creepy with me just talking about it is great don't you think it's enjoyably creepy it feels like you're on you know a haunted house ride i, mean, I, don't, I don't like being creeped out that's the thing but at the same time i want to know maybe i'll just wikipedia it later yeah I, I think the thing is if you do that the wikipedia story won't really represent the film properly because it will sound much worse than it is because the film is so much more about dane dehan kind of trying to handle because he starts to suspect that he might be ill basically and it's that kind of, well, what's really going on here? I don't get it. Which then makes it all the more disappointing that the revelations are quite standard, basically. 
I get the sense that what you're getting from this film is Gore Verbinski's a talented director. Yeah, that's right. Just maybe not that great a scriptwriter because he was involved in the story and he worked with Justin Haith uh, to do the script. Uh, he was involved in Revolutionary Road and then The Lone Ranger as well, which they're both involved in, of course. Mm. So I think there's just a few things missing, and which is why I kind of had the odd sense, along with those parallels with Pirates of the Caribbean and other things, it almost feels like... Um, very talented kids filmmakers attempting to tell a horror film. That's kind of the, the overall vibe, I think. But still getting an 18 rating. I, yeah. Maybe I'm, I'm hooking too much onto that, but I, I, for whatever reason, it's just hanging over this film for me. Well, but, let me tell you what IMDb says. Rated R for disturbing, violent content and images, sexual content, including assault, graphic nudity and language. So forewarned is forearmed. There you go. <laughs> there you go. What grade are you going to give this film, man? I kind of have mixed feelings about it. I sort of want to give it a B plus because I really was blown away by how it looked and felt in the first half of the movie. I haven't really experienced many films like it, to be honest. And it really is striking in so many ways. And there are so many interesting scenes, interestingly shots and storyboarded, just quite let down by the end. Yeah. The grade is? So probably a B plus, yeah. Can I ask one last question before you get on to bonuses? When does the penny drop? Is it a last minute thing? And then you're like, oh, okay. Or is it like... No, no, no. You sort of, you get hints of it. You can pick it up. I mean, it's obvious there's things going on behind the scenes. It's connected to history, that sort of deal. And it is quite unpleasant the way that it finally is revealed. But not that unpleasant. In some ways, it's kind of a, a bit disappointing. Like they just they just go back to so many tropes that have been seen before, and there's so much promise in the opening of the movie. I love the businessman start. I love the way it's shot. I love the you know I've said all this a million times, haven't I? Any bonuses? I only have one note I wrote down because I saw this at uh, View Leicester Square. So you, you know you're not really meant to make notes on your phone during those kind of screenings. And do you want to hear what it is? Yep. It just says Dane de Hagendas. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's it. Who's that listener over there? They seem pretty cool and debonair. They're the Pixel Bro. Ooh. Okay, and a quick emails and tweets round here. Uh, one from the Pixel Bro. He says, Very sad to hear of the hopefully temporary hiatus of what we've been watching. Some films when you come back. Blast in the Past, A Few Good Men, My Blue Heaven, Fight Club, Hook. Well, interesting choice. Uh, and I also love Star Trek IV The Voyage Home. Some things you missed. The implausible plausibility of April from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> uh, not actually. That's, that's what the character looks like. Travelling hundreds of years into the future for Captain James T. Kirk only to part amicably for an equally implausible job opportunity in the future. <laughs> that is a ridiculous moment in the film. That is a really bizarre thing, isn't it? It's very strange. She seems very happy about it, though. I know. She's... That is what makes no sense. You know... Just love and life. <laughs> uh, he carries on. Thanks for the Harry Potter 1 to 8 rundown. My order for what it's worth. Worst to best. 7 part 2. Uh, that is Deathly Hallows part 2. Then Order of the Phoenix. Deathly Hallows part 1. Half-Blood Prince. Goblet of Fire. The Philosopher's Stone. Chamber of Secrets at number 2. And The what? Prisoner of Azkaban at number 1. He says, don't be so down on Chamber of Secrets. Meanwhile, Prisoner of Azkaban was my very first experience of anything Harry Potter while a student. I credit it with convincing me to interact with the series at all. The scene where everything is revealed in the Shrieking Shack is an extraordinary example of multiple bewilderments, with Harry perfectly embodying the audience's own confusion. I did my waiting! Twelve years of it! Very good. Uh, he also adds, I Spy is the most underrated comedy spy thriller ever. No disagreement there. Yeah, no, it's great, 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 great. And here's a quick one, Phil, that's very relevant to this email segment. P.S. I love Phil reading emails and all segments that he does. Phil, you do have savoir faire. You just have to unleash it. 
<laughs> which is a quote from I Spy. All right, okay. So well, on that note, Phil, oh are you God. prepared to read an email? Which email should you want, do you want me to read? Just any, Phil. Okay, I've got one here from Twitter. This is from Pete Turner at I Love That Film. Thanks for the shout out last week, Super Bailey Bros. Loving hearing Benedict Seal and particularly his Against the Grain review of Rings. I'm sure Benedict will be very pleased to hear that. And in fact, I think it wasn't even just Benedict who appreciated that. I think also the Rings director appreciated their little chat on Twitter because they got they got chatting. Oh, we're bringing people together, Laurie. Isn't it great? Isn't that amazing? Yeah, very good. That's so the Rings director uh, may well have listened to that episode. How about that? Thanks very much. And good job, Phil. Great job. Awful. It's horrible reading out stuff. And I've got another quick couple of tweets here, and then that's it. It's a very short email episode, so, Phil, you know, that's a nice, easy break-in for you. Thank you. Stephen said, plus one to you for Lego Batman. Totally agree. Love the humour, but definitely aimed at adults rather than children. Oh, good, 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 good. I'm glad he agreed with me. Yeah, it was good fun. Yeah, I still want to see it, actually, yeah, definitely. Uh, and then Nicholas uh, emailed and says, uh, well, I don't know quite how to take this tweet, Phil. In one or two ways. He says, a bit late regarding the latest releases, but always a pleasure to hear you guys on Mondays. Continue the great work. So, I don't know, Nicholas, do you mean that we're a bit late covering the latest movies or that you're a bit late catching up on the latest movies? What do you think, Phil? Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose to say that, that, that Nicholas is a little bit late catching up with this week's movies because that's a slightly more positive way of looking at it. <laughs> we're trying our best. I that's what I'm going to say. We are genuinely going as fast as is humanly possible uh, to, to catch up with the latest releases. Although I have thought recently that now that what we've been watching is taking a break, I might consider moving the show back to a Wednesday because that does mean that we'll be quicker off the mark. You know, in uh, in um, scheduling on TV and stuff, often when a show's just about to die is when they start moving around on the schedules and like putting it before or after certain shows and things like that. So I'll just say that. That's a very negative thing to say, Phil. <laughs> or is it very positive, you know? Is it up to you, in fact, to decide how to read it? Much like Nicholas's tweet. Goodness me, what's going on today? Uh, right, listen, <laughs> It's the wind, so everything about the wind is <laughs> affecting Doris us. is affecting it all. Thank you very much for getting in touch. Keep your emails and tweets coming to superbailybros at gmail.com, at superbailybros on Twitter, and especially keep those rewards nominations coming in. Yeah, thanks, guys. That's great. Well, that uh, brings us to the end of tonight's SBB 2017. It's been an illuminating experience. Thank you, Phil, for all your uh, hard thoughts out arguments and points of view. Well, you know, I'd like to uh, try my absolute hardest to, to really get into the heart of movies, and I think that's ultimately been helped by you. So thank you, Lloyd. Oh, not at all. I can't help but notice that your voice and t- demeanour have changed. Phil, well, somewhere. you know, if you, if you, you, you know, as the great poet once said, if you can't beat them, join them. <laughs> oh, you're so very right. Well, listeners, hope you have a great week. Turn the the cheek and let's all go to the movies <laughs> let's all go to the movies uh, do let us know your thoughts on fences or on a cure for wellness John Wick chapter 2 tune in again next week and we'll be having a fantastic panel to come in and uh, review the latest releases Martin Scorsese is coming in to give us a, a unique recipe on tiramisu that's right and joined fantastically by Linford Christie across the couch to give us an Olympic sprinters point of view on film yes is it going to run and run and run or will you need to change those reels? Well, Phil, I think our new approach to the show is very likely to pick up an enormous audience uh, because of how professional and clever it sounds. That's the main thing. It's clever. It's not silly, is it? It's just great to have a great panel every That's single right. week. Yes. Serious medium, serious discussion. Come back for more serious chit-chat next week. Thank you very much, everyone, for tuning in. Well, that's us for now. Sayonara. Ta-ta for now. <laughs> yeah, but really, thanks. Bye. <laughs> Check, check, check.
Laurie, do you ever find graffiti humorous? Yeah, I suppose so. Depends how rude it is. I like I like the ones which are quite um, just sort of silly and fun, and it just sort of I don't know. It just I saw something as I was driving here today. In fact, that made me chuckle. I saw one of those white vans that was a little bit too too grubby, really, to really be white, and it sort of somebody just <laughs> written in the in the dirt, also available in white, and it made me laugh. Nice, clever. <laughs> that that's a good, good one. That's a nice Rather than the car. clean me, it was kind of like ha ha ha. <laughs> I tip my hat to you, sir. Has it ever happened to a car that you drive? I happen to know you drive quite a dirty car. How Is very dare you? <laughs> I've cleaned it. I've cleaned it. It's not my fault. That I have to park under a tree. What did you with clean the birds? It with? I cleaned it with all my might. Like leaves and twigs <laughs> how very day no there was a point where there was like moss growing out of my car and there was like mm. a leaf that was kind of i was it was like a leco car you know yeah. none of this oh, very, none of this electricity yeah. green cars i was actually doing a green Powered car by nature no mm, less yeah, yeah held together by nature but no one's ever scribbled something like that in your car no they have yeah yeah, yeah. They, they wrote the clean me and i felt bad and would it, would you have preferred it had they written also available in grey or whatever colour your silver color is? silver, silver. <laughs> it may have made me chuckle I mean I the best bit of graffiti I've ever seen was actually in a toilet stall in uh, in America uh, when I was studying out there and it was uh, some guy for whatever reason decided he'd write I hate people who don't aren't, aren't tolerant of others and then underneath it somebody else had written this guy hates hate <laughs> nice I yeah. just thought it was very good that's a good chuckle thorn there are some nice <laughs> toilet comedians out there Paul. <laughs> I know and I like the fact that they do not because they're going to get the applause or the appreciation they do it for the art do you know what film my favorite uh, piece of graffiti by the artist banksy i mean that guy really knows how to upheave a social norm doesn't he <laughs> okay that's right and joined fantastically by linford crinty at uh, christy <laughs> hold on let me go again i'll put it in the bloopers and uh, I may, 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 may. 